0: Yes, yes, yes. Recording in progress.
2: <laughs> Here he is. Are you off the back of a thirty-six-hour drinking session or something?
0: Pretty fucking much. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yes. Well, well, <coughs> we'll get onto that in a podcast shortly. But suffice to say, yes, it's uh, my last night. Uh, just start the fucking podcast, and we'll get on with it.
1: Okay. You don't need to tell me. Uh, it's possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. I might have to nip to the fridge and get some wine.
1: Okay, you do that. Do you want you go get some wine now, Norcross, and I can begin. Okay. Look how long it's taking for him to get up. (laughs) It's 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 like fucking easy. All right. It's like a tortoise on his back. Right, we'll begin, Norcross, you go to the fridge. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And let me explain what's going on. Let's get straight into this. I am currently sat in my flat in London at 2.30 in the afternoon. Stephen Finn is currently sat in his home down in Sussex in 2.30 in the afternoon. And Daniel Norcross has joined us straight from Yay. a night out at about 1.30 in the morning in Australia, and he looks rather merry. Norcross, how are you, sir? Well,
0: I, I've I've had one of the great days, genuinely great days. So, um, it 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 sort of began and ended at about four in the morning, obviously, because England just won the World Cup. So there was a lot to do. There was a lot of work to do. Don't get me wrong. A lot of work. License fee payer, and then there was a lot of you know networking. In other words, schmoozing and, uh, and, and and being at places after the game. And then there was a brief amount of sleeping, followed by the greatest fish l- lunch I have had in my life. I think 18 oysters it was in the end. 18 oysters, a kingfish ceviche, a clam chowder, or... Oh. Um, bottle and a half for Riesling, four Negronis, a bit more booze after that, probably more wine, mostly. Two of the most fantastic cocktails I've ever had in my life, one of which came and it exploded. They they put this like sugar lump on with cinnamon and it like was, it was fucking fantastic. And I've finally made it back to the hotel room. Basically, a lot of celebrating. Uh, Made it back to the hotel room just in time to speak to you. Uh, And it turns out that England have won the World Cup again. Again, they keep winning the World Cup. And I keep on being on air when England win the World Cup. There's something about me and England and the World Cup that I think we need to keep going with. And, And I'm saying this to obviously every producer who's out there. If you want England to win the World Cup, Get me there because that's how you win the World Cup. Um, me, basically, being on very briefly, only five overs in each innings, and a few updates into Five Live. But it's enough. It's enough to win a World Cup. So it's, yeah, I'm fine.
1: Well, I'm glad. To, I'm glad you've had a lovely day, Norcross. I'd have to say that even by the middle class standards of this podcast, and, and mentioning Kingfish Cerviche. Uh, this early on is, is is some good going. Now, I it had written so down... It was so good. It was so good. It had the little crunchy bits
0: on the top as well and uh, tiny bits of pimiento. Oh.
1: Well, I had written down um, some of the people that we need to talk about in England's World Cup win. Matthew Motts, Ben Stokes, Josh Butler, Sam Curran, but you're basically taking the credit, are you? Because you were on air when England won. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back
0: to all the other previous England World Cup finals... That, and we could go all the way back to 1979, which was a disaster, Brearley uh, taking way too long at the top of the order with Boycott, 1983 when they went out in the semi-finals, 1987 Gangs reverse sweep, um, 1992 against Pakistan. On, on no, none of those occasions was I allowed to commentate. And yet, strangely, strangely, when the time came, when the moment came, when England needed somebody to make the difference, I was there. And I've done it. I've done it for the women in 2017. I'm an equal opportunities employer. In 2017, I've done it then. did it in 2019. I've done it again in 2022. And um, I'm not sure if I would accept an OBE. I feel a little bit strange about the honor system. And you know, the royal family and all that kind of thing. But if it came to me, I would think long and hard about it.
1: Well, that's a great, well, if Charles is listening, if King Charles is listening, and I, I'm sure he's a big fan of the podcast, I'm sure it's it's good for him to know that you are at least open to a discussion. And I think that's important. Oh, and speaking oh, there's of theres there, there, there it is, there it is, it is. there it is. Um, so there we go. I mean, if Ethel doesn't get a damehood, then really the whole system's broken. It really is. I, I, in fact,
0: honestly, if it was if it was if it was me and Ethel, mm. I would accept it. Yeah. I think right. if it was me on my own, not so much. But Got, you know, yeah. if if Ethel could come with me, I would take her there. I would show her to uh oh, it probably wouldn't be King Charles, they'd give me is Princess Margaret dead? She probably is. Whoever's left. Um because <laughs> I don't know, one of the other royals. If if it was them there, I would I would accept on, on Ethel's behalf. Well, you are allowed uh, to take three oh, people
1: with you. You're allowed to take three. I know this because, of course, my father has an OBE and he yeah. took my mum, his dad and his eldest, my sister Helen. So you could take me, Finney oh. and Ethel if you get the OBE, which would be, you I know, what a, what, a, that. what a day trip to London that would be for the, for the four of us.
0: I would genuinely do that. I, I would tell you, Catherine, I'd tell you my wife, Sorry, Catherine, you're off. It's Toby, it's Finny, and it's a cat I've never met But (laughs) in a year and a half's time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I know her. I know every inch of her better than I know the back of my own hand. (laughs) Correct. Uh, Now, Finny, how does your day compare? So Norcross there, um, Negronis, cocktails that seem to set on fire, ceviche, fish, lunch all that sort of stuff whereas you are pro athlete, what 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 does your diet and day look like compared to Daniel Norcross as he necks another white wine on camera
2: Mm, well I'm on a meal plan thing at the moment to try and lose some fat because I've been relatively inactive since my knee surgery so um, I'm on calorie limiting meals at the moment 400 calories a meal three times a day with a little bit of snacking in between I've bought myself a coffee machine to try and um, resist the urges to eat sugar through the day. So I'm just going to load myself up with caffeine and milk and hope that that does the trick. Um, And yeah, I'm sat in my flat in Brighton, gray cloudy skies. Haven't watched any live cricket for around six weeks or so. Yeah. I'd say our our lives are very contrasting at the moment. And the only pleasure that I do have is, is, um, Ethel brushing her tail around my face whilst I'm trying to record podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> now,
1: <laughs> now, when you say 400 calories, that's bleak. What? What's that? Sounds that's nothing. I, I mean, what? What does that look like? What's breakfast, lunch, and dinner on a typical I'll t- day? T- I tell you like? what, that sounds soul destroying.
0: Exactly. I'll tell you what 400 calories it's like. It looks like what I'm about to neck right now. Look at the
1: size of that glass of white wine you've poured. That's literally full to the brim. (laughs) It's it's overflowing. You've got the bottle there. You can't just pour half a glass, drink it, and then top it up again.
0: It's my last glass of wine in Australia. I've got to to leave tomorrow. I've got to go tomorrow. I've got got to go back to England. England. I've got to go back to 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 the the bleak, grey, miserable darkness is Britain. And I Sorry, have you sure. seen the weather
1: in Melbourne the last few weeks? It's probably yes. better over here. Oh, it's been fucking dreadful. We'll come I, on to no, Melbourne weather I, in a bit. But, yes, Finney, come yes, on, sorry, talk to me yes, about yes. your 400-calorie... What does a 400-calorie breakfast, lunch and dinner typically look like? Because that is crap.
2: So breakfast is probably two scrambled eggs, three little mini tomatoes and, um, and two tiny little rashes of bacon. That's what I have in the mornings. And then none of my meals have big, heavy carbs in. So, I'm having spaghetti bolognese with black bean spaghetti, or I'm having a risotto with cauliflower rice as the risotto. I've just had fusilli that's made out of. In fact, I couldn't tell you what it's made out of, but it's made out of um, it's made out of something completely strange that's got no calories in it. Yeah, so I'm trying my hardest to. To not put on weight because at thirty-three, when you're not allowed to run yet because of your knee, you've got to be that little bit more careful.
0: Can I just ask a question? Can I just ask a question? Why, right? What are you doing this for? Is it is it so that you can get Sussex up to fifth in the second division next year?
2: Well, that would be a good start, wouldn't it? Because you want to be in that top half of the second division so that you're not languishing in Division Three the year after when all those new rules come in. That's very much an aim of us as a club. But, yeah, when you've had knee surgery, you don't want to be lugging extra weight around on your knee. So, so yeah, it's partly designed to, to help me lose a little bit of timber, let's say.
1: It's lucky that Norcross doesn't do sort of motivational speaking for sportsmen <laughs> when you're gruellingly eating 400 calories a meal and trying to, you know, be on the mend after major knee surgery and Norcross is there going, but why? What, so you can finish fifth? (laughs) It's not exactly Al Pacino's speech at the end of any given Sunday, is it? Bloody hell. Now, Norcross, whilst we've got you here pissed and with a glass of wine, that actually lends itself quite nicely to something else I needed to talk to you about. So we got a tweet from a listener called Ian, who said, My highlight so far of the World Cup was Daniel Norcross crawling across the floor of a rooftop bar in Melbourne to take possession of two glasses of wine whilst the podcast is in full flow and he's tagged us in it at norcross do you care to explain what that's all about yes well
0: yes okay so um you may be familiar with the final word podcast i mean it's not as popular a podcast as ours as it turns out but um it's it's it goes down quite well in australia and when in rome there the Romans do so Uh, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, who are two very fine men, were doing a live podcast on a hilltop, a hilltop? Rooftop, rooftop bar in Melbourne. It was very lovely. And the thing was that they were filming it and it became clear to me that they wanted suddenly, because that's the way Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon work, that they want me to speak. And I can't speak, obviously, if I've not got a drink in my hand. So I sent a guy called Cameron Ponsonby. I, I know, it's the funniest name you've ever heard in your entire life. Cameron Ponsonby he's a very good writer, by the way, incidentally. Very, very, very fine man. I asked him to go and collect for me two glasses of wine, because in Australia, you're not allowed to have a large glass of wine. You've got to have two small glasses of wine if you want a large glass of wine. So he brought me two glasses of wine, but he was on the wrong side of the camera. So in order to reach my glasses of wine, I had to limbo, which I think I did with incredible grace and elegance, if you don't mind me saying so, under the camera, although it turned out not so much, to reach the two glasses of wine and then to get them so that I could drink them, so that I could then talk when asked. And unfortunately, I was so incendially nonsensical well not nonsensical I mean I was actually sensical about um, how I felt about how the tournament had gone in Ray and in specifics about <laughs> the extraordinary circumstances that we talked about last week actually in the Bangladesh game um, but it would probably have resulted in me losing all my accreditation and never being able to work again uh, so the final word had to cut me out of all of that podcast apart from me rolling under the camera, although not under the camera, to go and collect the two glasses of wine that I needed to drink in order to say the things that they didn't <laughs> want me to say. So well, so, so,
1: yes. your, so the, your entire contribution to the podcast is you trying and failing yes. to stay out the way of a camera going and get two yes. glasses of wine because what you said about the Indian win over Bangladesh was so controversial they cut you out anyway.
0: Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, look. I mean, it's 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 not a very professional behaviour, is it? When you think about it, but um,
1: but it was necessary. I oh, thought. now that's and, great because I know Adam Collins and Jeff very well. We obviously that's how I first met yeah. Norcross. Was the Yahoo Sport Cricket yeah. Show we did many years ago. So right. somewhere on the cutting room floor is the raw unedited footage of Norcross yes. slagging off. Based to the BCCI, so I'm going to well, basically... I went no, no,
0: I went and just to be quite clear. There's no. a, 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 I didn't slag off anything. <laughs> i I simply expressed an opinion that has mercifully been cut from a podcast. <laughs> well,
1: well, well, I very much look forward to speaking <laughs> to Jeff and Adam and getting that raw footage and hanging it over you for the rest of your days, which frankly, if you keep up this current lifestyle is not long. but for those few weeks, I'll enjoy having a bit of a bit of ammo to blackmail you with nonetheless. Um, give
0: it give it a, give give it give it a couple of months and i'll have nowhere else to go and then i will let rip and and, and say exactly what i actually feel about everything but right now while that i've still got a chance of being employed
1: I, i'd rather i didn't well i speak on behalf i'm sure of everybody that listens to this podcast when i say i hope you get fired soon then we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in
2: the end, what will I become?
0: Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2.
1: Play it now with Game Pass. Now, <laughs> let's get into the Cricket World Cup. I sat here last week, and do you know what? Sometimes I am astounded by my brilliance because actually I've been sat here for the last three weeks, ever since this tournament began saying England are gonna win. England are gonna win. There's no question England are gonna win. Norcross started talking about Pakistan winning last week, and I said, you know, I stayed loyal and true to the mighty England the whole way. Even after the island defeat, I said we were gonna win. And here we are, the first ever team to be the 50 over and 20 over champions at the same time. Now Vinny, you watched the game. I know you got up early and watched it like we all did. I was very hungover, but nonetheless got up at eight o'clock in the morning to watch it. Um, You were chatting before we started recording, but a bit of a rubbish pitch for a World Cup final, but it sort of made it an intriguing, better game.
2: Well, it certainly made it compelling, didn't it? it? I think it ended up being a more even contest between bat and ball than maybe that maybe you see sometimes in World T20 finals, which I, as a bowler, am very happy about. And yeah, I got up early. I was glad that we won the toss. I was sort of half anticipating rain. So I thought I'd be setting my alarm back again for later in the morning, but I didn't. And I thought that England got it spot on right from the very beginning. I think that winning the toss and bowling first, um, giving themselves the opportunity to put that Pakistan top order under pressure, I thought they did excellently. Um, Sam Curran was outstanding again, wasn't he? I thought all the bowlers, Adil Rashid as well, did an amazing job just bowling that little bit slower than he had done all tournament. Um, and then you just felt as though England were in control of the run chase. But the wicket did mean that had Shaheen Afridi not got injured when he did, those last four or five overs, um, or three or four overs, sorry, um, of which he would have bowled two, could have been a really, really interesting end. But as soon as if the car came on and England decided that that was their opportunity, those five balls—that's where they won the World Cup. I think.
0: Uh, absolutely, that, that's absolutely what happened. It's it's extraordinary. I mean, that game was played on a pitch that was so much fun, so much fun. It wasn't like Adelaide. I mean, Adelaide was basically India didn't know what to do, um, played an IPL game, and then got absolutely hammered. Because England knew what to do on a road. They had they played an they had an IPL team, they had Archdeep Singh bowling as if they were playing in India then. I mean, Shammy bowling. They had, they had bloody Ashwin a, a, an off spinner bowling in Australia against two right handers. I mean, ut- utterly absurd. And then you go to the MCG, that pitch, as Shane Watson said to me, The cur- he said the curators here. They they're not as good as they are at Adelaide. I I disagree. I think they were fantastic. They created a really sporting, fascinating pitch. Nazim Shah beat the bat ball after ball after ball. It was scintillating cricket to watch. Actually, when you were there and you and you saw what was going on, you saw the spin. You saw Adil Rashid bowling a bloody maiden, a wicket maiden with his third over because he completely bamboozled Iftikar because the ball was just turning off that pitch. It was a magnificent pitch for T20. It's just a, it wasn't a 200 pitch. It was it was actually about a 140, 150 pitch. And it and Pakistan got to about nearly the right score, but not quite the right score. And had it not been for Shaheen Shah going down, I think that would have been a really tight finish. It was a brilliant game of cricket, actually, until that moment. Until, until that happened. And then it became brilliant in another way because England switched on instantly. They saw the moment. They saw that Pakistan was screwed and they went after him. And they went after Iftikhar, the four, the six, the risks that they took. And England are just really good at that. They're very good at understanding how T20 cricket works. They're really good at knowing what the moment is to attack. And that that's why they won the World Cup. When you look at the other teams in this World Cup, they didn't do that. You know, India have not worked out when you should attack. South Africa didn't know when they should attack. No, the Pakistan didn't, actually, quite frankly, and England did. And that was the difference between them and everyone else.
2: Yeah, but I also think that when you look at the semi and then you look at the final, I think Josh Butler opening the batting as captain was such a crucial thing throughout the tournament because he is the one who set the tone at the top of the order. I think previously when I played in World Cups, you go out there and people scratch around for the first couple of overs trying to get into the game. I thought Pakistan did that. India certainly did that and got so far behind the eight ball that even Hardik Pandya batting amazingly at the back end of that innings couldn't drag them to a competitive total. And Pakistan fell into the same trap i felt i felt as though pakistan left too much to the back end and when it didn't happen for them and they kept losing wickets that's what stuffed them up whereas england the way that josh butler went out and that semi-final hit three boundaries in the first over in the final he goes and asserts himself on on their best bowlers he clips it through mid-wicket first ball for three i think that that sets such a tone for the rest of the team to be calm around him Um, And then you look at the way Ben Stokes played as well, soaked up pressure. Um, And then as soon as they capitalised or as soon as they realised that there was a moment to take advantage, I think they hit four boundaries in six balls and the game was dead before Pakistan knew it.
1: We were just talking before we started recording about nothing summed up that game more than that ridiculous over between Shah and Butler, where he beat him all ends up five times. But in between it all, Butler played the most audacious ramp shot way over the deep fine leg boundary for six, and that pretty much summed up the pitch and the game and how good Josh Butler is as well.
0: And and, and there were five wides in it as well. So yeah. don't forget, it, that that over went for eleven, and yet when you were commentating it, when you were watching it, there was it, the the ball was beating the bat time after time after time. And, and Raymond Paul on commentary was really acute on this that in those first three four overs. Pakistan went too full. They, they, they were so excited by the, the prospect of swing that they just went too full. When they went back of a length, the moment they went back of a length, they got Josh Butler out. That was, And they were in it at 45 for three. They were in it. When they got Josh Butler out at 45 for three, they were in it. and And that was a really dangerous moment. And then Stokes came. And I mean, he was in already at that point. But what he did was he essentially managed the chase. he looked at the score it was 6.27 and over at that point and he managed what that was whereas Butler was going to keep going he was going to go hard he going go hard they like to go hard. it was it was an incredibly fascinating moment in the game because the pitch was really giving Pakistans quick bowlers everything they wanted but they just went too full. In those first four overs they gave england runs that they should never have got and once they pulled that length back it got really 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 dicey and there was a the moment that Shaheen shah really went off that just changed the game completely i mean we we were in for a real nail-biter and i okay. don't know i don't quite know what it was that did it he took the catch didn't he
1: he seemed to jar his knee taking that catch, which, um, it, as as Nasser said on the Sky commentary, that it was a bittersweet catch that because, yes, they took a wicket, but in the long run, it probably cost them or certainly cost them any chance of winning the game once a went off injured. But, um, I mean, let's talk about Ben Stokes because, I mean, what can you say about him that hasn't been said already? But it's mad to think that a few weeks ago we were sat here on this podcast trying to guess England's squad and there was people saying that Ben Stokes didn't deserve to be in that squad. To be fair to all of us geniuses, We all sat here and said the same thing. You want Ben Stokes in your squad in a World Cup. And he proved it with that innings against Sri Lanka at the end of the group stages. And then he proved it in the final because that's why you want Ben Stokes in the side because no man rises to the big occasion quite like him. He's now had one Superman innings. Well, he's had lots of Superman innings, but three iconic Superman innings in every format of the game now with a T20, a 50 over, and a test innings, obviously, at Headingley. Um, But Finney, I mean, it's very... we always take it for granted the way that he chases these totals but he's so calm his strike rate was down in the 60s at one point and yet when it was all said and done he basically went at the perfect rate for the run chase when when the game was finished and it's very easy to go oh we freely got off injured so if the car came on and bowled so therefore england attacked but we say that from the sofa hung over at 10:30 in the morning ben stokes has that presence of mind and that clarity of thought out there in the middle and then the skill and the balls to actually put it into action as well and, and on a pitch where nobody was timing the ball he saw that the ch- the time was now to attack iftikar and then biffed him over his head for six and, and and then for four back-to-back balls and then suddenly the game turned around i mean he's just he just seems to be so calm when everyone else seems to be losing their minds
2: well yeah i think there's a number of reasons for that i think you also have to remember the times that he's failed in big moments, because I think that those do shape your decisions in pressure moments when, when you get to them later in your career. You look at those um, four sixes that Carlos Brathwaite hit him for in the 2016 final, and I think he says a number of times that he wishes that he had just taken a moment and taken a breath and given himself the opportunity to reassess the plan. And I think that having those experiences, I think, helps you when you're later on down the road, that's why I think that actually the way that Harry Brook played, how frenetic he looked and how he looked as though he put himself under a, a little bit of pressure, I think that that will stand him in good stead when it comes to being impressed situations later on in his career as well, because he'll be able to use that bank of knowledge. So Ben Stokes is an expert and wants those moments. That's the first and foremost thing. But I think the second most important thing is the fact that He's had bad experiences before and has learned from them. And that, I think, truly makes a great cricketer.
1: And um, there was beautiful scenes at the end when everybody went charging on towards Ben Stokes. That's one thing you only get in 2020 because everyone's in the dugout. I love that run from the dugout to the pitch, which you don't get in test matches and 50-over games. They have to all just celebrate in the changing room before they get their chance. But Finney, you've been in, obviously, a lot of test series-winning changing rooms, including Ashes' series-winning changing rooms. You've been in Middlesex County Championship changing rooms. That must be what what it's when when we talk about you eating your horrible four hundred calorie breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and Norcross is asking you why. Those are the moments, why, right? Though I mean, it must be just the next five minutes when you've just won, say, an Ashes series in the change room. Must be the best feeling in the world.
2: Yeah, it is. I think also you sit there and you look around. They had their families there as well, didn't they? I saw a lot of um, children on the outfield with their partners, and and it's a moment to share the memories with the people that you love. And I think those are the things that you remember when you get off the field. Like, yes, you're, you're so concentrated and so focused on the task at hand because ultimately it's your job whilst you're out there on the pitch. But then when you're allowed to let your guard down and relax, that's when you really make the memories that you remember. So going on the outfield and having a beer, sat down in a circle discussing the tournament. And we've done that a number of times when we've won Ashes. And you go and you sit and you share those moments and memories, and that gives you an opportunity to reflect. Those are really the things that you remember because sometimes the game can just be an absolute blur of concentration. Um, but yeah, when you're sat in the dressing room in the corner, in your cycling shorts, arm in arm with your mate, having a beer, those are the things that you remember.
0: One of the loveliest things at the end of the game, because we were, obviously, when, when we finish the game, we got to do shitloads of wrap up, you know. And it goes on for bloody ever. You've got World Service to do. You've got Five Live. You've got God knows who else to do. And when you finish it, you see those families out there. You see their kids out there. And there was this really beautiful point when Adil Rashid's kid was throwing a tennis ball to Moe and Ali's kid. And they were doing it from like 30 yards. And they were catching it every time. <laughs> it, was, it was magnificent. It was like, oh my god that's the fucking future they're these these kids and they were like they're like six and seven years old and they got seriously decent arms by the way those two kids and when you, and you see like the the wives run on and they're and they're out there on the outfield they're bringing their babies on there and it's it's when everyone's gone when the entire crowd has gone the, the beauty of it, the magic of it, that, you know, you've just won the World Cup. You've won the World Cup. And you're not just won the World Cup, you you your World Cup and the other World Cup. I mean, and, and think about where England were. Like when Ollie Robinson ran away from that ball at Hobart and made his way to Hobart International Airport as quickly as, as humanly possible to be to get the fuck out of Australia because... England had timorously given up the ashes abysmally. And we are now looking ten months later, they won six test matches out of seven under Ben Stokes' captaincy. They've won the twenty over World Cup. They are probably the dominant team in world cricket. Who would have thought that? Who would have possibly thought that? Ten months ago. It's been they were, it's they, been... were, they, were they were a shambolic wreck of a team and now they're not that at all they are
1: the sort of New Zealand of now
0: and isn't that fantastic
1: and 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 actually although because obviously the white ball team has been very good for a long time now but you know my, we, we, we sat on this podcast a few months ago with Morgan gone you know yeah, new coach exactly. new captain England had yeah. a pretty average summer in white ball cricket which we're so not used to especially in England and it was a bit like, oh, maybe that Morgan era has sort of come to an end, but hey, wasn't it fun while it lasted? I mean, a word for Matthew Mott, who... So, do you know what? We talk about this incredible achievement that England have got the 50 over and the T20 World Cup at the same time. This bloke's won two World Cups in a year, which is just <laughs> absolutely... I mean, that is that will never happen again in the history of cricket. Nobody will e- ever win e- the Women's World Cup and then a few months later win the 2020 World Cup. But also what I love about him is He understood the assignment. He came into a system that was working so well. Players that have been around for a long time now, very experienced tournament cricketers, white ball cricketers who have played in franchises all over the world. And he's kept the lowest profile. 99% of England fans could still walk past him in the street and wouldn't even recognise him. He's just gone in, quietly under the radar, let them carry on doing the things that made them successful, play with freedom. And then here he is lifting a second World Cup in in a few months. And it's just been... uh,
0: I get, I get that, I get that, but you know, it's 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 Joss to me, T- to me, it's Joss. It's it's like watching Joss growing into captaincy, because he was a guy who was really under pressure. Not Matt, not Matthew Mott, actually, the guy who really had the pressure was was Joss Butler, because he had to take over from Owen Morgan, and his captaincy has just been fantastic. His understanding of the game. Has grown so much when you watch it, when you when you when you're out here seeing what he's done. Like Stokes, there's there's no there's no certainty about what England are going to do. You know, Stokes might bowl the first over. He might not bowl the first over. Adil Rashid might bowl in the power play. He might not bowl in the power play. His decision making has been absolutely spot on, and I don't know whether that's hindsight. I'm not quite sure, but it has been. Superb actually, uh, he has transformed himself from the captain that he was in in the summer when he felt like a guy who was so you know, ha- having the weight of over Morgan's captaincy on his shoulders into a bloke who completely now knows what to do with that team, and I think that's fantastic. Actually,
1: I, I do, I completely agree. I think just just butler's. It seems like every bowling change and every tactical decision in this World Cup has, has worked, maybe apart from maybe the Ireland game. But I'd, I'd go as far as to say that we actually have looked like a better bowling unit under Joss Butler than at times under Morgan, where often it was a case well, of, that... well, set, set us anything and we'll chase it because we've got so much heavy hitting in our batting lineup that we'll get there. But, I mean, Sam Curran was just ridiculous in this tournament. Let's not, not forget that Mark Wood was injured at the end. Reece Topley was injured just before the World Cup. Um, Joffre Archer, who would you'd expect to be a key weapon in this T twenty side, has been injured for a long time now. This isn't even the first choice bowling attack, and yet we, we... Johnny Best,
0: though. Johnny Best. Johnny Best, though,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ravi
0: Papara said in there uh, during the India game that England's second choice T twenty team would beat India. That that that's I mean that's that's a profound statement to make, but he's been pretty much spot on throughout. And he and he might be right. It, yeah, this, he, was abs- he, he absolutely nailed what was going on in the India game. He absolutely nailed what was going on in the Pakistan game. I think he's right. I think I, 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 there's an argue, are, I mean, you look ex- at the players not they're, even they're remotely near, even. near the
1: squad at the minute, but your Smeeds and your Will Jackson, these guys that will eventually play for him, they've conveyed a talent at the minute. Is ridiculous, um, and also Josh Butler. He's got such beautiful, kind eyes. I think that's the real key here. Just, they're not, they're not on the same level as Pat Cummins, who has the most beautiful eyes in cricket. But they're very close. They're very, very close. Um, now, yeah, well, it was an amazing. Hang on, hang on,
0: hang on, hang on, hang on, Toby, 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 Toby. Toby. Kind eyes, kind eyes are, are psychopath eyes, though, don't you think? There's a fine line. There's a, yeah. fine line. There's a fine line. It's know, like a smile yeah, can mm. be. The yeah. smile
1: can be cute or creepy, and it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a very it's good like point. It's like the Kiwis. It's like well, the feel, Kiwis. Feel free to tweet us don't, at don't, Zero don't, Ducks be, be, Pod. be careful. Be careful. Tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod, who's got the nicest eyes in cricket, the kindest eyes and the most serial killer eyes. And we can go through these next week. Um, anyway, England were amazing. It was a brilliant tournament. And uh, and thankfully, the rain held off as well because it bucketed it down soon after the final as well. So it was brilliant, for, especially as it was on free-to-air TV. It was great that so many people got to watch a great game of cricket. Um, now, before we let you go, chaps, obviously the Football World Cup is just around the corner. Now, I was thinking that we need to do a sort of World Cup of our own over the next couple of weeks on social media. And I had an idea for the cricket teas world cup so we are going to name the greatest and most important piece of food at any club cricket tea so i'm going to need suggestions from the listeners and i'll launch this on twitter at some point this week but finney back from your club cricket days all those days ago i know now that you used to playing at lords and getting your kingfish ceviche or whatever but what what's what are the items of food that every decent cricket tea should have have knocking about
2: jaffa cakes Okay, I would say. I think they're important. What do you mean, what? 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 Jaffa Cakes. Jaffa Cakes. Everyone knows, yeah, everyone knows you need a few Jaffa Cakes before you go out and bowl. Yeah, I think they're a fundamental um, part of a cricket tea. I think party rings, they're oh, yeah. important. Yeah, it's very biscuit-based tea I'd have if I was in charge of it. Yeah. Why does Norcross look so fucking confused here? He
1: always looks I'm- confused.
2: Why is that sinking no, into a seat? Where happening? have you gone?
1: What have you fallen down? You're sitting down and yet you've managed to fall over.
2: I'm, it's on genuinely, the floor.
1: Staggered. I'm genuinely staggered
2: by this.
0: jaffa cake. You need you need you need the pizza triangle for for absolutely for a kickoff. You need a, a, a bit of chicken tikka, if you can get it. The older manual had the greatest fucking tea of all time. You need a meat and vegetable samosa without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, what jaffa cake? Jaffa a a jaffa cake? What can do with a jaffa cake for fuck's sake? I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, apart from anything else, it's really confusing. It's called a jaffa cake, and it's not a cake, and it's not a biscuit, and it's very con- It's a, it's an appalling food. The jaffa cake, I despise well, the jaffa cake. Whoa
1: whoa whoa! I mean, well, well. I, let's yeah, let go. No. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been the first thing I'd name. But let's not badmouth Jaffa cakes here. You, you, okay? What? The podcast wasn't invented so that a drunk man having a midlife crisis can sit on his hotel room floor in Australia and bemoan about Jaffa cakes. All right, that's not why this media. I hate know. Jaffa cakes. I, mean, <laughs> um, I don't hate them; they taste fine. What about? You know I mean, I mean? I'm, they, I'm, are, I'm, they are, I'm, they, I'm, are I'm, they are they are insubstantial inter- pointlessness. What about a potato salad? I'm a big fan of a potato. No, salad. No, I
0: hate potatoes. <laughs> Uh, Cold potato salad?
1: No, absolutely no way.
2: Warm
0: potato salad is acceptable. (laughs) As long as they're new potatoes and warm and covered in plenty of slashing goodness, there's got to be, you know, a lot of creme fraiche and chive on it, or else there's absolutely no point on it. Um,
1: No, 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 no. uh, what about, um, I mean, obviously you've got your scotch eggs. You've got your your pork pies. That's acceptable. That's acceptable. Scotch sandwiches. Acceptable. Coronation chicken. Oh, I like a bit of coronation no chicken. No fucking despise coronation chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, Finney's shaking his head at that as well. What?
2: Not, not a fan yeah, of coronation. I'm happy. If you're allowed a warm tea, I think it's important that you get a jacket potato with like beans and cheese on it, party rings, jaffa cakes and orange squash, and you're ready for the second half of the game. In club cricket, I
1: would say. Party ring, Jaffa okay, Cakes. So what What are they?
2: No, I mean, party rings
1: and Jaffa Cakes. I know that when you last went to a sweet shop, Norcross, that you could get a marathon bar or whatever it was called back then. But <laughs> since then, we've moved on and party rings are delicious. All right. I'll not have party rings bad what, mouth What's eat. a party ring? Well, no, you'd recognize. I'm going to show you a photo on my phone. Here we go. Party <laughs> rings is one of them. Hang on. Hang on, one yeah. of those Norcross. Wait, how can I make that? How can I make it so you can see that? Oh, this isn't failing miserably here. Oh no! Oh no! That that, that was nearly there. Here we go. Oh, no. There we go.
2: One of them.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd eat them. Yeah.
2: Eight pound oh, ninety nine. The fuck's that?
1: Yeah. What is that? Eight nine, <laughs> Oh, that's like eight, a, that's like a novelty. Oh, that's actually a, that's actually a coaster of a party. It's a, <laughs> a, <that's> a coaster. <laughs> nice. Eight pound ninety nine for one of them. <laughs> Well, now what we're going to do is so I'm going to put this to Twitter. So we're going to collate people's choices for the best cricket tea items. We need 32 of them. And we're going to do a world cup over the next few weeks and crown the greatest bit of cricket tea in the world. Okay. That's going to be the job over the next few weeks. So Sal, I'm going to need your help with that. Cause I'll probably forget. Um, now, very, very finally. Um, and sorry to end on a somber note after the um, wonderful English victory. But David English, we need to talk about, who very sadly passed away this week. Uh, Finney, do you know what? I typed in David English onto Google when the sad news came out. And the second picture on Google was you with your arm around David English. And look at Stephen Finn in this photo. He's got a very low cut T-shirt. He's got a, a some sort of windswept hairdo that even by your standards is, is, is ropey and a nice sort of knitted cardigan number that you seem to be wearing. Um, But David English, what, what did he mean to you, mate, and just to to so many cricketers? Basically, the squad that's just won the World Cup, I'm sure most of them would have been impacted by David English at some point.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, he's a very, very charismatic, an amazing man to spend time with. I was very fortunate on a number of occasions to um have become a good friend of his and spent a lot of time with him. And you always remembered the days that you spent with him. And and I think that his legacy is obviously the under-15 festival that provides a springboard and a platform for young cricketers to be recognised by major counties, to get them into the system and give them an opportunity to realise their dream of playing in the professional game. I think there's 117 cricketers that have played in the Bunbury Festival that have gone on to represent England, which I think is an amazing statistic. Uh, and then you put on top of that the charity work that he did with his charity cricket team of celebrities going around and playing against cricket clubs. Um raised an unbelievable amount of money for some fantastic charities as well. So the legacy that he'll leave behind in cricket is going to be a big black hole that's going to struggle to be filled. But he's left behind some amazing things and, and you know, very, very sad and, and disappointed that he's passed away.
0: Al Rashid was the bunbury cricketer of the year in 2004 on almost the day that he became a world cup winner i mean that is that is magnificent isn't it 18 years later having been under 50 cricketer in the bunbury festival he took two for in a world cup final and he ended up being one of the most celebrated cricketers of all time the Bunbury Festival was one of the most magnificent things and every every cricketer that you know Joss Butler Ben Stokes everyone's been through that system and when I did Tesseract Sofa he, he came on Tesseract Sofa and he was the loosest maddest man <laughs> that there has ever been he's, he, he's a lunatic he was, he was he was a magnificent lunatic his
2: and, nickname was Loon
0: <laughs> yeah
2: amazing <laughs> for, for,
0: for all for all the right reasons and he was hilarious. He was magnificent. We had um, an hour and a half with David on Testmat Sofa. And I got this note came through. It said, ask him... It's from Phil Brown, Dudley Pappus you know, the, the, the great photographer, the, the greatest photographer, frankly, of cricket. And it said, ask him about being in Amsterdam with the Bee Gees. And... The story that I know about David English with the BG, because he was he wasn't just a cricket man; he was he 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 started as a and always has been, and was a great um, sort of music impresario.
1: He did the PR for the Rolling Stones at Decca Records. That's I mean, right. The life exactly. that that man has oh, lived yeah. is unbelievable.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. But but this story cannot be told even on even on. On zero Dutch Given. It is magnificent. He is one of the greatest men who ever lived. And you and I, when we stop recording, we'll find out that story. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> well, I, I look and forward it, and to it's, hearing it. Any it's any an story that starts with. So
1: I'm in Amsterdam with the Bee Gees. Is it is going to be a half-decent anecdote? It? Oh,
0: um, oh fuck me. A, so, a man who's you know,
1: contributed an enormous amount to English cricket and to, to the country as a whole, but also. Although, God tragically, rest, passed God away to is, see the England God team winning that World Cup wearing soul. black armbands as a mark of respect to him was a very, very fitting and touching tribute to the man. It's so, it's so, yeah, sorry to end on that sombre note, but right. uh, we couldn't let the podcast go without talking about him. Chaps, I'll see you next week um, and uh, we'll say goodbye for now. And Norcross, you can tell us the story about the Bee Gees in Amsterdam.
0: I will do the moment we go off air.
1: <laughs> is this going to be an, a, this is going to be another like you're like you're oh. slagging off of the BCCI it will never see the light of day correct <laughs> <laughs> see you next week chaps Hello. <laughs> oh, on
0: sports social podcast network